friends, and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us, then let me just welcome you and say that I'm very glad that you're here. My name is Christian Keeter, and I live in the southeast of the United States of America with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife, Lacey, and our two wonderful daughters, Felicity and Serenity. So before getting into the content for today, I just wanted to give you guys a cool, quick update. Um, as you may or may not know, I just want to talk about the Bible is a nonprofit organization. It's a it's a 501c3. And many of you have uh, generously given to the ministry already. And I just want to share with you something that the Lord, through your generosity, has funded. So I heard about an organization called One Hope through my church a few months ago for an end-of-year fundraiser they were doing, and they were going to direct some of those funds to the ministry One Hope, specifically for the distribution of what's called, what are called books of hope. Now, One Hope, one thing that they do is that they seek to get the gospel um, in front of children. Um, they, they want to expose children to the gospel. And so they um, have produced these things called books of hope, which are little booklets that are illustrated. Um, they tell uh, certain accounts through the Bible and spend a lot of time, uh, the majority of the time, focusing on, the, of course, the ministry of Jesus and his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and uh, and how to be saved, how one is born again. And so uh, these are specifically made with young children in mind, very accessible to them, um, very uh, done in an engaging and uh, even entertaining way for them. And so um, whenever I heard my church talking about this, and they had somebody from One Hope actually on the stage explaining a little bit about this, I really felt prompted that I just want to talk about the Bible should fund some of those things. And so we um, we just made a gift and we were able to, a donation, we were able to do this um, because of how the Lord has provided through your generosity. And we funded approximately a, a thousand of those books of hope. And so I just want to say, for anyone who has given to this ministry, I just I just want to say loud and clear, your, your giving it is making a kingdom impact. It is... Uh, a thousand, approximately a thousand kids are going to be exposed to the gospel because of your gifts. And that's exciting. That's amazing. That's thrilling. And, you know, we, and, and all glory to God, of course. Um, but, but thank you so much to those of you who have given. I, I just want to put that before you and say, it's, it's make, it's making a difference already. And we're excited moving forward for other such opportunities for kingdom impact and kingdom investment. Um, but I just wanted to let you guys know about that and just say, thank you. Thank you so much. And especially thank you on behalf of those kids, um, who are going to be exposed to the gospel, um, because of your generosity. So thank you. So now let's transition, uh, into the lesson for today and, um, yeah, let's go ahead and get started. So today we are going to be looking at a couple of passages out of the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. And the goal for today is going to be what should be the goal anytime we open our Bibles, and that's to know God better, to know him for how he truly is, to see how beautiful and amazing and incredible he is. Uh, it's our, our goal is to, to hear from the Spirit using the Word to inform our understanding of what the Lord is like and correcting where we may be off. Because um, we all have an understanding of the Lord, and we it, I can't overstate how important it is that our understanding of God is true and accurate and lines up with how He has revealed Himself in His Word. 
This is so crucial and indispensable to the Christian life. It can't, honestly, it can't be overstated. Um, in fact, Jesus, John 17, really quickly, I'm going to read verse 3. This is the night before his crucifixion. He's going to be betrayed shortly, and he's praying, and he says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And that word know, that word know, um, he said, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's all about knowing God. It's all about knowing Jesus better. It's all about our relationship with him. Everything flows from that. And if we if we miss that, then we miss everything. And let me just say it this way. The Bible, I'm, I'm holding the Bible in my hands right now. I just picked it up. And this, this collection of books, the Bible, the word of God, it is a means to an end, not the end itself. And the end is to know God better. It's to see him for how he truly is. It's to know him, um, to have a relationship with him, to know his love for us, to know what he's like. Again, to, to know how one is saved and has a relationship with him. We could go on, but it's, it's all about knowing him. In fact, um, Years ago, um, my boss had me write in my Bible at the time, the very front of it, I read this book to know Jesus more. And that pretty much sums it up. It's like, okay, that's why I'm doing this. My, I mean, it, my Christianity is not just a relationship with this book. This book is a means to the end of the one with whom I have a relationship, Jesus Christ. In fact, I've heard it said that for some Christians, um, their idea of the Trinity is the Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures where the word of God is obviously extremely important and I'm in no way trying to diminish that. I mean, I love the Bible, but this podcast is called, I just want to talk about the Bible, but we have to understand that this is just, it's for the purpose of knowing God better. And someone can have a lot of biblical knowledge, but not really, and someone can be truly born again and have a lot of biblical knowledge and yet not have a vibrant, uh, close relationship with Jesus. They can be dry. And um, I can speak with a lot of, authority uh, with this topic because I, I've been there myself plenty of times. I really have. And that's just not where you want to be. You, you don't want to. And it's all about growing closer to him. Um, there have been times where I would have claimed to know a lot about Jesus, but I didn't really look like him very much. And so if we want to look like Jesus, it's like, we just need to, we need to get with Jesus. We need to be with him. We need to be just transformed by his presence and just, and being with him. It's all about knowing the Lord more. And so having said that, let's flip to, uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter. We're going to look at Ezekiel 33 and 34. We're not going to read all the way through these things. Just as a couple things I really want to draw out. Now the timing of Ezekiel and what's going on in this book is, is relevant for, what we're about to read, but I'm just going to touch on it. Um, you can listen to episode four of this podcast, which is entitled brief overview of the old Testament to get a kind of, uh, I don't know, a, a little bit more of an understanding of the context of this book perhaps. And I will, um, link to that episode in the, uh, this episode description. If you, if you want to hear that one, but Ezekiel takes place during a very dark time in Judah's history. Um, centuries prior, uh, the nation of Israel had split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, which was referred to as Israel, the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. Um, about a century and a half prior to this time, Assyria came in and carried off um, the kingdom of Israel, and uh, and they were defeated and handed over to them. Uh, and, the, uh, and then now what's happening is Judah is being handed over to Babylon 
we talked about this in some recent episodes, but I mean, just in case this is somebody's first time listening, I'll, let me just read something from Jeremiah here. This is in Jeremiah 22, 8 and 9, which is um, this same period in history. It says, and many nations, uh, I'm sorry, okay, and many nations will pass by this city and every man will say to his neighbor, why has the Lord dealt thus with this great city? And they will answer because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshiped other gods and served them. And so we see the people of Judah had abandoned the Lord. They had become idolatrous. They had forsaken the Lord. And if you know the history, they had had warning after warning. I mean, there was, and there was so much time to repent and turn away. And eventually, um, the Lord hands them over to Babylon where they're going to be for 70 years. And then the Lord's going to bring them back into the land during the time of Babylon is when things like uh, the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, things like that are going to happen. But right now we're reading from Ezekiel. And so Ezekiel is a prophet and he is in the land of Babylon. He was carried off to Babylon. There were multiple deportations that happened during the, um, the, the Babylonian uh, attack on Judah. And so Ezekiel was carried away uh, with one of these and he had been prophesying to the people. And this is now in Ezekiel 33. And remember what we're doing today. I'm not trying to teach you a history lesson. I'm not trying to uh, fill in gaps of ancient history for you um, on exclusively. That's not my primary goal, although I mean, it, you know, learning that stuff is, of course, fun, but the, at least it is to me, I, th- I think that sort of stuff's interesting, but the ult- the ultimate goal is to see God more clearly, to know him better. Reading the Bible is not an academic exercise, but an investment in a relationship. And if you don't hear anything else, I just hope that that sticks with you. Reading the Bible is not an academic exercise. It's not checking off something on your, um, kind of like your, your Christianity checklist. No, it is an investment in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's look at Ezekiel 33. I'm going to read verses 10 and 11. And this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, telling him, um, telling him what to say. It says, beginning in verse 10, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And that was verses 10 and 11. But did you hear what God just said in verse 11 there? He said, and I'm just going to pick up, excuse me, partway through the verse. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Do you hear his heart? Do you hear what he's saying? Do you see what he's like? And does this picture of God match up with what you think about him? We see here how the Lord longs to forgive, how that is his heart, how he desires to relent from disaster. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He says, the Lord doesn't take delight in the death of the wicked. He would rather them repent and turn and live. Um, a passage from the, the New Testament that says something very, very similar is 2 Peter 3, 9. In the context of this passage, is talking about the return of the Lord. But listen to what Peter says. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
Listen to that. Not wishing that any should perish. So we see, like, we, we see God's heart. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. Um, in Ezekiel 18, a few chapters prior uh, to the one that we were just looking at, uh, he says something uh, very similar. So here I'm... Um, Almost here now. Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 18.32, he says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. And actually, uh, earlier in this passage, in verse 23, he says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? And so we're seeing God's heart. We're seeing that the Lord loves to forgive, that he wants to forgive. And it's not like his, it's not like the Lord is, I don't know. Um, just he's not eager to punish, eager to destroy. He's not eager to do that. He's eager to forgive. I mean, even listen to that. He says, he says, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. So turn and live. And I mean, obviously, yes, the wages of sin is death. Yeah, here in Ezekiel 18, uh, verse 4, it says, the soul who sins shall die. And so, and yes, sin has punishments and punishment. We've talked about this in plenty of episodes. We could talk about, and you could go back and listen to the episode on the gospel, episode 24, which I'll also link uh, in the show notes to this uh, of this episode. Um, but, but we see God's heart. He longs to forgive. And even I look at the gospel. The very fact that Jesus came to die to pay for our sins shows us that God longs to forgive and he wants to show mercy. He wants to show that. And so back to Ezekiel 33, really quickly here. Ezekiel 33, he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And so that's part of the part of verse 11. And so you know, the Lord, he's, he's, um, what this makes me think about, one of the things that this made me think about was actually the book of Jonah. Now, when people talk about the book of Jonah, um, a lot of times chapter four gets left out of the discussion. We talk about, okay, how Jonah, uh, had the word from the Lord to go to Nineveh and how Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. So he ran away. And then there was the whole, um, time in the fish and then the fish spits him back out on the dry land. And then Jonah goes to Nineveh and the Ninevites repent and happily ever after. And that's that's pretty much how a lot of times children's books will, or children's Bibles will depict it, and even how we think about it in our minds. But there's an entire extra chapter after that where Jonah gets really mad. And it's But this extra chapter is so amazing, and it just shows us something so incredible about the Lord. And so um, let me, uh, I'm looking at Jonah now, and we're going to look at a few things, uh, actually just kind of throughout the book very quickly, but I want to just highlight something. So Jonah begins with this, verses um, 1 and 2. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so that was, you know, the Lord speaking to Jonah. And then we know, of course, Jonah flees. Verse 3 says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Um, that's the first part of verse 3. Then it continues on. And so he gets on the boat, he flees, um, he gets thrown overboard into the water, the, he spends, you know, three days in the belly of the fish, and then he's uh, spat out back on dry land. And then in the beginning of chapter three, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so then this time, of course, Jonah goes to Nineveh. And so I just want to start off and point out, it's like, well, what is the, what is the message exactly that God is sending him there with. Well, it says way back in verse uh, 
2 of chapter 1, it says, The Lord said to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And then again, in, in chapter uh, 3, verse 2, he, he uses the phrase, call out against it again. And so this is a message of judgment. God is sending Jonah to um, Nineveh with a message of judgment. So then he goes in there, um, the seer, it says, the beginning in verse 4, of Jonah 3, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so Jonah just comes in here and says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And it says the people believed God. And they, they start humbling themselves and repenting. But listen, it escalates even more. Continue in verse 6 of chapter 3. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And then listen to verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And so these people repent and the Lord relents. And let's just kind of think about this anyways. It's like, you know, the Lord could have just wiped the city off the map without even including Jonah at all. Like why send Jonah? Why even do all this in the first place? Why, why send a prophet there? Why not just completely destroy the city? Well, we look at this and we take God's character into consideration, how he does not delight in the death of anyone. And we see how quick he is to relent from the disaster. So chapter four, Jonah uh, but it says this beginning in verse one, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. So apparently Jonah doesn't like the fact that God relented from the destruction of a of Nineveh, which I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff here. Nineveh um, would have been the capital of Assyria, which were of course uh, enemies. Um, and so the book of Jonah really is, you know, one of the questions the book of Jonah asks us to ponder is how do we respond when God wants to show mercy to our enemies and to bless our enemies? How do we respond? And um, that's that's one of the big questions that we can ask ourselves from the book. But then it goes on to say in verse two, and he, Jonah, and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And then it goes on, and there's you know there's some stuff that happens where um, Jonah and the Lord talk a little bit more, but. Um, the Lord says down in verse 11, he says, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And that's the, actually, that's the end of the book. But the point is this, why, why am I highlighting this? Do you see how God wants to forgive? Do you see how he wants to relent? Do you see how quick he is, um, to show mercy? This makes me think about Manasseh, which we've talked about in another episode, which was one of the most wicked kings. He was carried off. The Lord warned him and warned him, and he was carried off and imprisoned 
and he humbled himself and he cried out to the Lord and the Lord was moved by his entreaty and the Lord restored him. The Lord had mercy. And so we see time and time again, it's like when we, like, you know, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever hum, uh, exalts himself will be humbled. I might've just uh, switched those, the order of those two around, but, but it's just like the Lord wants to relent. He wants to forgive. Think about the father and the parable, of the prodigal son. When the son came back, there was no shaming. There was no guilt trip. There was no working his way back. There was no mentioning of the son's failure. There was a warm embrace and full restoration. And that is how Jesus chose to, say what the father is like towards us that is and and so it's we have to again does our understanding of god match this there have been times where i have felt like and i i believe that the lord must be slowly getting irritated with me and slowly getting frustrated with me for not being further along and i've had certain ideas of what god has thought about me but my question that i have to ask myself and, and all of you is this were my thoughts informed by the truth of how god is revealed in his word Is is our thinking reflective of what's actually true about God? Because when we look at the scriptures, yes, we see a God who is absolutely holy, absolutely holy, and we see a God who is absolutely love, and Himself took it up. He took it upon Himself to um, make it so that He can have a relationship with His people who are estranged because of sin. So. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. So if this is how the Lord is, we have to ask ourselves: is this how we are? Is this how we are? When we look at the wickedness in the world around us, do we realize that God's will, God's heart desire would be for these people to repent, to turn from their wickedness, be brought into the family of God? Or is it just an us and them mentality and the solution would be just complete destruction of that entire group, whoever that is? You know, um, Jesus is perfectly holy, full of grace and truth. And yet sinners were drawn to him. He didn't lower the bar of truth. Of, of course he didn't lower the bar of truth. And yet sinners were, were drawn to him. It was from the self-righteous, supposedly religious people that, you know, that they were the ones who isolated themselves from, uh, from, from sinners, right? And so, you know, I just, just as a side note, it's like if we are knowing the heart of God, and the better we know the heart of God, the more we're going to be transformed just because we're just so moved and transformed by that, the more we're going to stop being so critical of everything around us and start asking questions like, how can I reach those who are far from the Lord? How can I, because I mean, yes, our culture is full of wickedness and darkness and sin. And regardless of what culture you're in, I mean, I'm speaking from a North American context, but this is true. But the question that becomes not, you know, in, instead of just uh, complaining about the culture and criticizing everybody, um, it's, even those living objectively sinful, ungodly lifestyles, we have to ask ourselves, how can these people be reached? Because we have to look in the mirror and say, we weren't born saved. We were not born saved. Uh, we have a, a BC period in our life before we came to know the Lord. No one was born a Christian. And uh, no one inherits salvation. Each of us, each work out your own salvation 
with fear and trembling, right? And so, uh, well, for, for it, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And that was a little bit of a paraphrase. That was Philippians 2, 12 through 13. But my point is, this is personal. And so how we, you know, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that should be our heart. When we see the masses that are far from God, we need to realize that, you know, in their heart of hearts, even if they don't realize it, they're longing for home. These are estranged orphans desperately yearning for their heavenly father and they don't even know it and they're trying to fill that void with anything. It's not just us and them. No one if someone is still alive, no one's beyond saving. So okay. So I, I'm so you you get what I'm saying. So I'm just saying with this, we just have to see how understanding God impacts how we think and how we see things. This picture of God wanting to forgive. And this is just one example. And here's something really, really practical for you that, that helped me. Um, I had a, uh, a friend who um, got himself into a bad scenario and it was his own fault. However, partway through the scenario, he, um, he felt convicted and he He's like, all right, from, from this point moving forward, I'm going to respond rightly in this, basically. And, I, and I'm, kind of, I'm paraphrasing and really just kind of generalizing with all this, but there's a point I want to make. And, and I, at first, when he was telling me about the scenario, one of my first feelings was like, well, dude, you put yourself in this scenario. This is just kind of what you get. You know, and that, that might sound harsh, but that was, and I, I didn't quite know because he had done the right thing kind of halfway through it. And so I'm like, do I commend him for doing the right thing or do I just be like, well, this is what happens. This is the consequence of this. And it was just the consequence of it. Um, but he was already experiencing the consequence of it. He was already like repentant. And I was talking to the Lord about it. And I felt like what the Lord showed me was just like, regardless of what has happened up to this point, um, what is the person doing right now? If they make a right decision now, that is to be commended, regardless of what's happened up to this point. And so, you know, the past can't be changed or anything like this. And so that really gave us like, okay, no, my goal, my responsibility is to affirm this guy to say, Hey man, you did the right thing in this situation. Good. Like that's amazing. I heard one pastor put it this way. Just do the next right thing. Just do the, the next right thing. And, uh, and so I hope that that's practical and helpful, um, for somebody out there. So let's turn the page to Ezekiel 34. Um, don't actually know if you need to turn the page. I don't know how the chapters are laid out in your Bible, uh, but I just had to turn the page. So Ezekiel 34, this is a different conversation, but this is, uh, again, what are we doing right now? We're trying to know the Lord better. And so we just saw something about him, something incredible, something amazing, something beautiful, how he doesn't delight in the death of anyone, doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. He would much rather lavish people with mercy and bless them and forgive them and restore them. And is that how we see God? So let's, let's look at something else really quickly. So this is, uh, chapter 34 is a part of, it's a prophecy against, uh, the, it's as the shepherds of Israel. But let me just say, when it says shepherds, we're not talking about shepherds out in the field. We're talking about, this is the way we're referring to the leaders. And then the people are like the sheep. And we'll see that as we go through this. Um, but I just want to say that up front. and that, that kind of terminology is kind of intuitive to us. We get that. And so this is referring to the leaders and their interaction with the people. So... Let's see, verse, I'm just going to begin in verse one. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, 
You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. And so that was Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6. And so we see that the Lord is condemning the actions of the leaders. But verse 4, verse 4 is, um, oh gosh, it's, it's so, let me, let me just read it again and then I'm going to point something out. And uh, he says, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And so... The fact, okay, the Lord is condemning how they did things. And he says he's condemning these sorts of actions. He's speaking against those sorts of things that I just read. And so what does that reveal about him? That the opposite is his heart. So what was his heart for his people? Let's just flip that around. It would have been for the weak to be strengthened, the sick to be healed, the injured to be bound up, the strayed to be brought back, the lost to be sought, and with not with force and harshness for them to be ruled, but with gentleness and kindness. So let's jump ahead a few verses. Um, This is verses uh, 15 and 16. Uh, It says, this is the Lord speaking. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. The fat and the strong, of course, is going to be um, this is going to be a, you know a reference to uh, these these wicked leaders because over here you know earlier it talks about how um, he he talks about ah shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves should should not shepherds feed the sheep you eat the fat you clothe yourselves with the wool and so you know and so we see it's a reference to that but listen to what he says he said you know what? he's like these I'm going to be their shepherd and what does he say he's going to do it's the inverse of a lot of the things that we just saw in verse four he said. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And so that is to say, feed them in space, justice, two words, not feed them in justice, like the singular word in justice. Uh, but so what is this? But it's showing us this is what God is like. This is when he looks at his people, when he looks at the oppressed, when he looks at those who are hurting, who need help, what happens? He's, he's moved and, and we see that he, his anger towards those who should have been helping, but were actually oppressing the helpless. And God says, I will shepherd my sheep. Now this should, you know, John 10 should be ringing in your ears right now where Jesus is speaking, um, a really, uh, famous passage. You know, there's these, I am statements in, in, in the gospel, according to John and, uh, John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And, you know, he goes through this, this passage and, and we see that you know, he says, Jesus, I am the good shepherd. And which by the way, one thing you'll see, um, sometimes in the new Testament, and I've heard it put this way is Jesus in the Yahweh slot. And it's when Jesus does, um, 
what we see the Lord doing. And this is actually one of the ways that you see that Jesus is God. And so we see that here because, you know, the Lord God, you know, Yahweh is saying, I will seek, you know, I, I will be, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And then Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And so we see that, that, that there, that's kind of a side note though. And so again, we just see the heart of the Lord here. And when we see the heart of the Lord, it transforms us. It's like, oh, it's like, okay, I should seek the lost. I should bring back the strayed. I want to bind up the injured. I want to strengthen the weak. I, I want to help the hurting, the oppressed, the neglected, the forgotten, the abandoned. Why? Because that's, that's the way God is. And remember, the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And as we see him more and more clearly, we're going to be changed too. 2 Corinthians 3, um, 17 and 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And it talks about how we're transformed, you know, as we behold the glory of the uh, the glory of the Lord. And... Um, but really, this is just the foundation of the entire Christian life. It's all about knowing the Lord. It's all about um, delighting in Him. And uh, and when you look at things like the Psalms, you know, and you see you see people who delight in the Lord, and that delight, that love, comes from just being in His presence. And so, in closing, if you want to know God better, if you want to see what He is truly like, then. Um, then look at Jesus because Jesus perfectly reveals God and he is himself God. And that is in no way, shape or form meant to, you know, diminish the rest of the Bible at all. No, we should be reading the entire Bible. Uh, All scripture is God breathed, right? And uh, seeking to know the Lord better through his word. But, but listen to what Jesus said. John 14, eight through nine says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so, you know, Jesus Jesus essentially says, look at me and you see the Father. And so if we want to know what God is like, then then look at Jesus. Look at him. Um, Hebrews um, 1, let's read uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so that was Hebrews 3. Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through the first half of verse 3. But listen to that. Talking about Jesus, it says that he is the exact imprint of God's nature. And so if we want to know what God is like, then we need to look closely at the person of Jesus Christ. And so um, just the goal for today has been just to uh, highlight the absolute necessity of uh, keeping our relationship with God just that a relationship and not reducing it down just to acquiring information, but having a real vibrant living relationship with the living God on a daily basis and seeking him in his word. And so we, we looked at two Ezekiel passages um, just to, as, as a couple of illustrations and examples of, of things that we can learn about God through his word and hopefully readjusting our understanding of him. And so in closing, I'm just going to read um, 
Exodus 34, 6 through 7, where the Lord describes himself. Exodus 34, 6 through 7 says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so we just, as I've said multiple times now, we just need to make sure that our understanding of God is accurate and that we understand correctly. So I could go on, but I'll stop here. I hope it's been encouraging, uh, encouraging to you. And I hope that it has given you a, um, fresh way to approach your Bible and hopefully, uh, uh, helped you and encouraged you in your walk with the Lord. So um, I just want to talk about the Bible is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means that all gifts given are tax deductible. Um, Thank you so much to those of you who already have given. Like you heard at the beginning of this episode, you can see how um, those gifts are making a kingdom impact. And so for anybody who feels led to give, you can find instructions on how to do so in the footer of any of the episode descriptions. All right. Thanks, guys, so much. And until next time, God bless. God bless.